Okay. So if you would, Scott, give me my first slide of Happy New Year, because one more time, there's just, what was it? No, what did you say? There's no deadline. There's no end. No cutoff. It's amazing how words can just so quickly escape you. I want you to guys take 70 seconds and answer this question to each other. What's one thing that you would like to see happen this year? I'll give you about 70 seconds. Find someone close to you and get the answer to this question from them and share your answer. What's one thing you would like to see happen this year? So hopefully that's a little bit less intimidating than like New Year's resolutions or what is your goal for 2023, right? Uh, at the same time, perhaps because it's a little less daunting, it's a little more accessible. So I can let you know for me, my plan, what I'd like to see happen for the end of the year is I want to run a half marathon with this guy. This guy's name is Brian Earlbeck, very dear friend of mine. This is us at a cigar shop in New Orleans. Uh, he came in for an architecture conference about a month ago. And so as we were sitting there catching up, um, we both decided, man, in 2023, we are going to run a half marathon. Much easier for him than it is me. He runs about 25 miles a week, three or four minute stretches. He runs all the time. Um, but it would be something fun and adventurous that we could do together. So that's one thing that I would like to see happen in 2023. I haven't run or even put on my running shoes yet, so I'll keep you posted as to how well that goes. Um, another thing that we're excited about in our house is this thing called Dwell. Um, so there's this cool company. They've been in existence for about uh, five years now, and I found them on the Instagrams, uh, or should I say algorithms and AI helped them find me. Um, yeah, but it's super cool because what they do is they have these temporary tattoos that uh, help you remember memory verses. And so they send you Temporary tattoos, a cool keychain, and even like a simple printout of the design. And they give you enough temporary tattoos to put on about one a week, and you can memorize the verse. And so this is something that I just found. I said, man, how fun would it be for us to like do stick-ons? And so uh, pretty much everybody who was down for it when, when they came in the mail this week, which is not all of us, by the way, you can go like to peruse our bodies and see which one of the Weathers family has the tattoo and does not. Um, <laughs> But uh, Andrew can already tell you the verse. It's uh, Psalm 119, 105. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. It's super fun. And so if you guys uh, would like a very, very, I don't know, I would say whimsical and like effective way to like memorize some scripture this year, uh, dwelldifferently.com. Uh, it's something that I know as us a family we're really excited about. Just, I mean, who doesn't like temporary tattoos, right? They're, they're fun. Um, so... I'm curious, did anybody in your, like, looking forward into 2023 um, say, man, I want to be more like Jesus this year? So um, that sounds like the, like, like the pastor thud, right? So to, 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 to pull that up a little bit, um, I like this list of being more like Jesus. I'm going to party with sinners. I'm going to upset religious people. Uh, I'm going to say confusing things, and I'm going to choose insignificant friends. And then I'm going to live, and I'm going to die, and I'm going to live again. I'm going to be more like Jesus. If that's the list, count me in, right? 
Count me in. Um, so as a teaching team, we, as we were beginning to think about how do we launch into 2023, what is the Lord laying on our hearts? Um, what does he have in store for us? We, we began to circle around this idea of stories, experiences, encounters. Um, it's easy to go into the Bible and read where people have a story with the Lord, a moment with God that's truly miraculous or life-changing, uh, whether it's supernatural or simply significant. They were in God's presence one way, and they left forever changed. Um, what does it look like then for us to have not only the stories of the Bible, but our own story? And so, um, like, take Peter, for example, in these really rad, super old school pictures that you used to see on felt boards. There was a moment at, right at the end of Jesus' life and ministry where Peter has this supernatural moment with, where he cuts a guy's ear off, and Jesus picks up the ear and puts it back on the guy's head. And so there was a, Jesus, I mean, so this is a reference point. Peter could say, I mean, there was this time when I saw Jesus do this thing. But then in Acts chapter 3, after Jesus has ascended into heaven, Peter and John are making their way into the temple, and they see this guy who asks for help. And Peter reaches out his hand, and he says, man, silver and gold, I don't have that. But what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus, arise and walk. And he just picks him up. No Jesus is around just a moment of incredible God encounter, and it's Jesus, I mean, it's, it's Peter's story. Um, it's his to have. And so what does it look like uh, for us? I can tell you that's one of the reasons why I am here this Sunday at the beginning of this year. Um, because personally, professionally, uh, with all of who I am, that's even why I'm not like, I'm, I'm, I'm dressed as simply as I can be dressed today. I don't want it to be about my fancy shirts or my, even my colored glasses. Man, like I want more of the Lord. Um, and it's not that I couldn't find it in Lubbock, Texas. Um, but I do believe that our congregation and congregations like this, our church family, has a particular appetite, desire to see both the word of God come true in our life and the power of God manifest present in our life. And so that's why I want to be, I have a very dear friend of mine, a pastor I'm sure I've mentioned before, his name is Locke. This is a book that he wrote. And if you give me just a second, I want to read just a couple of paragraphs. Because he talks about, you have like a, a charismatic camp that is customary for the church. We can kind of look over there and see that. And then there's a word camp we can look over here and see that. Um, he, he uses this, this analogy called fuel and fire. Listen to this, and, and may the Lord speak vision and enthusiasm into our hearts. He says, in many ways, those who cling to the word-based or spirit-based backgrounds are like bonfires not yet lit. In the case of evangelicals, all of our discipline and knowledge is like a cord of wood stacked neat and high. We represent enormous potential energy. Yet what is astounding about us evangelicals, individually and corporately, is how small our impact has been for how much we know and how many we are. 
We have the fuel, he says, the well-mastered truth about God, piled high in millions of lives, and yet something is missing. And he says charismatics are also like one component of a potential bonfire. Their passionate power is a blazing torch. They represent incredible kinetic energy. But what is amazing about charismatics, individually and corporately, is how small their impact has been for how much they have and how many they are. They have the fire, the impassioned power, and the fullness of the Holy Spirit, yet they too are missing something. And then he says so beautifully, what both sides need is each other. They think of the bonfire that would burn in our churches, in our denominations, in our missions, in our own hearts, if ever the often quenched fire of the Holy Spirit was allowed to ignite the well-stacked fuel of biblical truth. We would feel the heat of an unprecedented blaze of spiritual fire and light. We would experience the message of the New Testament confirmed by the wonder-working power of the Spirit. We would be overwhelmed by a truth power explosion that would consume the world in a life-giving way. He says, for too long, the torch burning on one side of the high, thick wall has been safely separated from the wood stack on the other side. It's time for the wall to come down and for the fuel and torch to ignite. And he speaks of, of, of what we hold dear, right? A spirit and word church, the radical middle, uh, a lot of verbiage that you'll hear in the Vineyard Church. Uh, it's something that I genuinely see happening all the more here in our church this year. Jesus says himself in John 14, some words that, if I'm candid, are just hard to swallow. He says, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. And so for me, for a lot of my life, I won't even go near that verse. I, I'm, like, I'm like, I know it exists. I'm just, I'm going to stay over here. Um, and this year, I, I don't want to do that. This year, I want to see what it would look like to get closer. And as we begin this conversation with our teaching team, we've decided that we're going to step into a, a sermon series we're going to call Greater Things. And what's beautiful is um, I, I want us to see that this isn't going to be like an outcome-focused series. Uh, it will be an outlook-focused series. I want us to look to Jesus as both our Savior and our teacher. And if he asks us to simply follow him, to step into the rhythms and the realities that he stepped into, um, man, who knows? Could it be as simple as following what he modeled and positioning ourselves in a way for God to use us in a mighty way? Um, I don't know if any of you guys have landed on words for 2023, like your one word for 2023. Um, I believe that for a church, our one word is connect. Uh, I would love to see us connect with each other, uh, with the presence of the Lord, with our community, that we can really begin to see relational uh, attachments grow in beautiful ways. For me personally, the word is shift. Uh, and I get to say it slowly 
every time I say it, but shift is a word for me. And so this is actually, um, this first step into following what Jesus modeled is going to be a very simple one, um, but also I think a very significant one. I want us to look today at Christ-like gratitude. If you think about just thankfulness, a grateful heart, it doesn't seem like, oh my goodness, okay, we're not like jumping off into the supernatural depths here, right? This is pretty easy. It's an attitude of gratitude. But I want us to look at genuinely Christ's heart, Christ's character, Christ and how he stands in this idea of gratitude. Um, I want you, so there are actually recorded moments of Jesus' gratitude. They're, they're broken into four groups. And so I would really encourage you to take a picture of this slide and in your own time, look at each of these different verses. Uh, so the first one, Matthew eleven twenty five and Luke 10, this is when Jesus says, Lord, thank you that you, know, you hid your wisdom and truth and beauty from like the really smart people and revealed it to different people. And so in a sense, it's like, thank you, Lord, for your peculiar and best ways of doing things. Um, the feeding of the 4,000, the feeding of the 5,000, that's obviously just a simple thank you for the resources that are provided in that moment. We're going to look at Mark 8 today. Uh, Lazarus, as he prays out loud at the tomb of Lazarus before he raises Lazarus from the dead, uh, Jesus says, Lord, thank you for hearing me, which is significant. And then in each of the accounts of him having communion um, in the Last Supper with his disciples, there are moments where he thinks thanks the Lord for both the wine and for the bread. And so um, the heart of gratitude is obvious in Jesus. Uh, today we are going to look at Mark chapter 8. And before we do that, I just I would like for us to, to really dial into the fact that I know we can, again, an attitude of gratitude. There's something that can be, if we're not careful, obviously cliche about this. And it can change the climate of a situation. The Lord has spoken to me this week that there, this element of Christ-likeness can truly transform our lives. So before we step in, let's, let's uh, take a moment and pray together. Uh, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your heart, for your character, how absolutely unwavering that you are. And you said that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. Uh, I want to say thank you for that Bible verse. Thank you for that revelation of who you are and what we can expect and how faithful and consistent you are. But there's so much more depth, Lord, to you than just those few syllables. And I pray, God, that as we spend some time in your presence and in your word this morning, you will show us how delightfully strong you are. Thank you for every heart in this room. Thank you, Lord, for giving us a moment with each other and with you. We ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen. So if you have a Bible, I would encourage you to open it up. Obviously, as is per usual, I'm happy to share mine with you here on the screens. Mark chapter 8 is where we're going to be, and this is the story of the feeding of the 4,000. Um, we'll just read straight through the story here at the beginning uh, in verse 1, where it says, about this time, another large crowd had gathered, and the people ran out of food again. Jesus called his disciples and he told them, I feel sorry for these people. They have been here with me for three days and they have nothing left to eat. If I send them home hungry, 
they will faint along the way, for some of them have come a long distance. And his disciples replied, well, well, how are we supposed to find enough food to feed them out here in the wilderness? And Jesus asked, how much bread do you have? Seven loaves, they replied. So Jesus told all the people to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and he thanked God for them, and he broke them into pieces. And he gave them to his disciples, who distributed the bread to the crowd. And a few small fish were found also. So Jesus blessed these and told his disciples to distribute them. And they all had as much as they wanted. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. So let's go back to verse 4, where his disciples reply, how are we supposed to find enough food to feed them out here in the wilderness? Their first question is, how? And what's fun about this is, like, their response is reasonable, but it's not on the same wavelength as Jesus. Like, even at the beginning, we see, hey, Jesus' heart of compassion. I want to feed these folks. I don't want to send them away hungry. And they're like, cool, Lord, how? And even as I begin to see this, for me personally, um, man, I begin to resonate with this reasoning. Um, let me tell you where this whole thing happened for me this week, the moment of revelation and inspiration. I got the chance to go to a men's group that we have on Thursday nights. They meet at uh, one of the CCs here in town, and Kent actually was telling a story about um, a beautiful dad moment with his little girl, um, where they're teaching the whole, like, you know, say please thing. So she knows how to ask for juice and crackers, um, and they're working on, may I please have some juice and crackers. So he's telling this great story about how that very thing was going down in their kitchen. He then gets down like on her level and looks at eye to eye and is like, now what do you say? Use all of your words. And was trying to coach her and teach her and welcome her into a space of wonderful manners, right? Just being a well-rounded, beautiful, kind human being. But in the telling of that story, he began to like express his frustration of that particular moment because it took a long time to get to the result. You know, like it never once ever came out all at the same time. And then, like, as he was telling that story, I began to think, man, like, isn't it interesting how, like, when we get in those moments, it's almost like we're asking just for the right words. I mean, just say the right thing. Whether you mean it or not, just say it. And that wasn't necessarily that particular instance. So that's, like, where I began to, like, gravitate towards. Like, it's often we'll just ask for people to say the right thing or do the right thing, regardless of whether or not your heart's attached to it. And I was like, man, like, I can't imagine the Lord, like, wanting that for us. I can't imagine God the Father, the sovereign, like, Lord of all creation, looking at us and just, man, just say the right thing. He wants so much more for us. He wants our hearts to be grateful. He wants our hearts to be like his. And it just opened my eyes in, a, again, if I'm candid, a pretty, a pretty like convicting way of how far I am from the true grateful heart of Jesus Christ. 
and like what's possible when that is your heart posture in the situation as opposed to like anything else. So when these guys are saying, like, well, we hear you, but how? What's that going to look like? I began to hear myself saying, like, man, like, I can see in any given situation, like, what's not being done, how it could be better, what's missing, what's lacking, how much better it would be if. And that is, like, a lot of my thought process. I don't know about you guys, but it could be, like, whether it's, like, my parenting or my kids or our home or my habits or what I have planned for the new year or how I'm doing my job or how I'm doing my driving, I can quickly begin to pick apart any and all of those things in my life. And I was realizing, I mean, like, that actually, if I'm not careful, I'll have moments of gratitude, right? Th- that happens occasionally. But I would say that most of my days are more nitpicking than, like, gratitude stacking. And I was like, whoo! Like, I'm pretty far in this particular facet from the heart of God. And I don't want to be in that space, right? Like, that is not very Christ-like. What's beautiful is, so they say how. Jesus says how much. How? Jesus says, okay, well, well, how much bread do you have? Seven loaves, they reply. Do you know how much you have? Have I taken the time to really take inventory of all that I have? Because I think that's probably one of the most beautiful things about this whole, there's plenty of supernatural happening in this story. Plenty. I mean, the Lord's taking a handful of, you know, basically like one meal and multiplying it into meals for thousands. But it begins with only a handful of food and like no disheartening in the moment. Jesus knows exactly how much he has, and he knows exactly what God can do with it. And so I can tell you for sure there are times I, I've taken the time to register my complaints. Right? right? I've taken the time to register how it could be different. I don't know if it's a consistent daily rhythm of mine yet. Come on, somebody say amen. Yet. For me to take the time to genuinely, not just because it's a good practice. Oh, this is a good idea. You should really like know what you, no, because like this is Christ-like. Jesus, I think it's safe to say, was never lacking. He always was like completely aware of what he had, what it meant in the natural, and what it was, what was capable of it in the supernatural. What we have is enough. What we have is enough. I was visiting with a guy yesterday at one of the cigar shops, and they were talking about something. They were like three or four chairs away from me, but they said something that they were talking about a particular like internet sensation thing. I don't want to spend time on it, but I was like, I know what they're talking about. And so it was the Florida man thing. If you know what the Florida man thing is, that's what it was. And so I was like, hey, I used that as a sermon intro once. And here was the Florida man thing. If you just Google it later, come find me later. I don't want to, I don't want to spend four minutes on Florida man. But it gave us a chance to connect. And 
as we were talking, they, all of them left except for one. And this one guy's name is Luke. He stuck around. And, man, we just struck up an intense conversation about how a lot of things, um, and some of which was my content for today's sermon. And it was so fun because God deposited some elements of not only this morning's message, but this sermon series in that conversation. And I looked at him and I said, man, like, just look at all that God has given us in this moment. Like in the, in the passing conversation of each other. It's like what we have is enough. And if there's anything that we need, he will absolutely be faithful enough to add it to us. So what we have is enough. And with God, what we have is more than enough. Verse 6. So Jesus told all the people to sit down on the ground. He took the seven loaves and he thanked God for them. And he broke them into pieces. And if, if we could just sit on one sentence today, this is it. Jesus says thank you and he works with what he has. He says thank you and he works with what he has. It's not a matter of what it's not. It's not a matter of what it could be. It's not like give me two more weeks. No, it's like, hey, I got seven loaves. Lord, thank you. Guys, let's go to work. I find myself asking the question, what would my life look like naturally, supernaturally, spiritually, holistically, if I added that to the deep crevices of my heart? To wake up in the morning and say thank you and work with what God has given me. Isn't it amazing? Isn't it beautiful how simplistic that is and yet how profound it would be when actually like put into practice in our lives? I'll tell you, see this way, like, like the heart that holds situations in this way is positioned to be used mightily by God. Jesus, again, it's not just a best practice. A core of who he is is grateful, wise, discerning, knowing of all that he has and that's available to him. What's beautiful is verse 7. This is like an extra add-on, and it's just kind of fun. A few small fish were also found. So Jesus blessed these and told the disciples to distribute them. A different word here. So it's not the same as saying thank you. This is actually blessing, like speaking a blessing. The, the Greek word is where we get the word eulogy. And take a moment like at, you know, when we're celebrating the life of somebody who's passed, and we take the time to speak kind words and honor them and celebrate them and, and eulogize them. There's a wonderful blessing that happens there. So here, Jesus is blessing the fish. And then that blessing, naturally and supernaturally, makes much more out of it. It makes me think of this verse. Um, oh, no, I didn't put that one in there. Okay, that's awesome. What verse is that? Um, <laughs> James 3.10. James 3.10 is where, where, where James says, you know, uh, blessing and cursing can come out of the same mouth. And there's just something that's not right about that, right? First Peter, we'll get to First Peter at the end of the service, that he even says that um, blessing is like what we are called to do from God himself, um, as well as Moses. And then they ate as much as they wanted. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven large baskets of leftover food. They ate as much as they wanted. They had plenty. 
and plenty. Um, a life of plenty begins with a heart of gratitude. Um, man, again, so I don't know. I, I don't want to be all like, I try to be as exciting as I can, but, but, but this stuff is just really sitting heavy on my own heart this week. Um, because I'm like, man, like, it doesn't matter what if I have, if, 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 if I don't begin with gratitude, if I don't, be, if I don't appreciate it, it's just not enough. Right? Um, and, and, so, and, so, and so what I, what I have told myself often, foolishly, is that if I'm grateful, there's an element of that that's settling because then I'm not like, leaving myself open for all the things. But can I just tell you, you can be grateful and leave yourself open for what's next. You can totally do that, right? You understand, you understand what I'm saying when I say that? Like, man, and so I want a life of plenty. I, I, even if I do have just like half a cracker, I want to be able to enjoy with a heart of gratitude all that God has packed in that half a cracker. Um, if I have a few minutes off in the afternoon with my kids, I want to be able to know all that I have in those few moments with my kids, uh, whatever it may be, I hope that this year, this week, this afternoon, I begin to open up in a brand new, more Christ-like way of stepping into gratitude. Um, here are the two ver verses I want to close with this week because I think that it's just fun. Again, something so simple actually is quite significant. I don't know about you, but I've often wanted to be like in the will of God. I wanted to know what God's will for my life is. What has he called me to do? And right here, out of the word, 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, Rejoice always, pray constantly, give thanks in everything. This is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. And it's not just the giving thanks part. I would actually encourage you to go back to 1 Thessalonians 5 because the list is much longer. And I think that this refers to like all of the this that's in that paragraph. And there's a lot of things there that are beautiful to kind of get our hands and hearts around. Um, ah, that's funny, I put 1 Thessalonians again because I was in a hurry. It's actually 1 Peter chapter 3. Don't repay evil for evil. Don't retaliate with insults when people insult you. Instead, pay them back with a blessing. This is what God has called you to do, and he will bless you for it. Step into that rhythm of blessing. Genuinely attach your heart, appreciate and speak a kindness over any person, situation, or, or, or thing. And, and when we do that with a pure heart, man, we're, we're positioning ourselves for God to bless us. And he gets to pick what that is, which is kind of fun. At any rate, as we step into this idea of greater things the beginning of this year, um, these are some of the things that we're going to look at. And, and we're going to see some really challenging things. But I, I really think, right, Mark, we're going to see a lot of simple things. And if we simply do them uh, in obedience and wonder, I, I believe we're going to position ourselves for the Lord to do some really incredible things. And again, it's not about outcome, it's about outlook. I want to I have the same outlook as Jesus. I'll trust the Lord with the outcome.